0: This is the Manips and Sips podcast show featuring two fellowship trained, board certified orthopedic and sports physical therapists. Join us as we talk all things physical therapy, manual therapy, performance, business, education, research, and of course, Sips. Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast show featuring me, I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to be talking about patient dependency, especially in regards to manual therapy and does it cause it. Uh, There's a lot of debate about that and whether it causes people to have to rely on physical therapy and or manual therapy. Uh, So we're going to put our two cents in, but before we get into it, Brandon, how's it going?
1: Oh, well, Jer, uh, looking forward to this topic. I mean, this I think can have, uh, or does have a lot of tentacles and legs on it and we'll see how many of them we can, uh, touch upon and, and cover. Uh, I, I don't think there's a, a right and wrong answer. Really, uh, a lot of different viewpoints here. Mm-hmm. So I'll pl- I'll try and do my best playing, play uh, some devil's advocate, uh, along the way. That's good. Well, uh, yeah.
0: I think, I think it should be fun. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll probably ruffle some
1: feathers as as it is. Uh, hopefully, we don't get getting uh, bad reviews or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say ruffling feathers. We're going to uh, we're going to drink on the show and we're yeah. going to curse on the show, and that'll be that. So and there is an explicit
0: warning on this, as there always has been. But uh, I'll try and be better and yeah, uh, hold the tongue here and there. But anyhow, before we get it, I, I won't. Hey, well, there we go. Uh, <laughs> go all out, baby. Uh, Brandon, what are you drinking today?
1: So uh, I got my big bottle of Don Q, Añejo XO. It's a Puerto Rican rum. Uh, delayed shout-out here from one of uh, our stellar interns, John V. from NYU. Uh, John, haven't forgotten about you, haven't forgotten about this bottle uh, just been busy with a lot of stuff and I had a lot of, uh, other bottles I had to kind of get through here. Um, but John was a, a great intern. We had him. He reminds me, I was telling you, he reminds me of uh, our friend, Kyle, Kyle Feldman. He's been on the show. Uh, and Kyle, you know, I, I, always look up to him in terms of his, uh, ability as a clinician, as a person, he is, you know, the, I don't know, patients for days uh, which I don't, um, he's, his ability to display empathy and communicate, um, and show compassion, uh, is really something, you know, I look to, uh, and I, I often find myself, um, you know, when I'm, you know, frustrated or maybe stuck, like, I'm like, what would Kyle do? And I see a lot of that aspect, um, that Kyle has in John as well. So, uh, some pretty big shoes there john um but good job congratulations actually we had a recent post about him on our on our instagram and he the the love for him and support for him was overwhelming so kudos to you we wish you luck on the rest of your uh, pt schooling i know you got about a a year year and a half left there um actually probably less than that because we had him last summer probably a year oh all right anyway let's Smells delicious. This oh, is it, apparently he went straight to the motherland for this one right here. So oh yeah. Good stuff.
0: That's awesome. So he brought it back from, from Puerto Rico.
1: Yeah. So this is my first time having it. That. I'm gonna have it on the rocks. I don't want to miss any of the uh the flavors here. This bottle's it's legit too, man. I
0: know. I didn't know Anejo like of a rum exists. I thought it was, yeah. Anejo was a tequila thing.
1: Yeah, I know. Me, too. So I was uh, pretty shocked when I... Right. Smell test. A swirl test. Oh, dude, that's smooth, man. Not even... I mean, you guys didn't even see a it. Of rain. That's beautiful.
0: That's really good.
1: Oh. All right. John, thank you very much. Cheers, brother. Excellent. Hopefully, uh, we'll touch base soon. Oh, uh, Jeremy, what you got? Uh,
0: John, I uh, probably... Not as nearly as uh, interesting or probably as special as yours there brandon but i got a stone uh stone geez uh stone uh vengeful spirit ipa uh, so hopefully some vengeful spirits come out of us during this episode uh ipa uh, is the last of the packs so up here you know finish it off uh with pineapple mandarin orange so it's got some flavors in there um and i'm excited to have it Stringing out my local bone saw glass. Oh yeah, my pouring skills have improved.
1: Oh, look at that. Look at
0: that. I got the little the little twist at the end there. <laughs> Screw this. I'm gonna become a bartender, but just yeah. pour beer. Yeah. Smell I can definitely smell the, I believe the mandarin on this. It's good definitely got some fruit if yeah if i go for ipa it's usually some with a fruit I'm not just your standard ipa kind of guy uh so
1: that's pretty good i'll give it a 7.5 that's the first thing that comes off the top of that oh 7.5 here i thought you were going to loosen up on the, the the grading here yeah
0: i know i know it's i'm waiting for it i'm waiting for that one that just blows blows my t's in outer space and uh right. um but yeah, that's probably gonna have to be, you know, what we had um, at the brewery after the course, those are probably some higher percent higher uh, ranking ones. So I'll have to bring which, them Which on the one show. did you have? I had the oolala. Like oh, I, I like I had that. that um, yeah. I guess black IPA that had that okay, same. you had
1: the same ones then, okay. Yeah,
0: so those were pretty, pretty awesome. Um, I like
1: those. The the oolala kind of tasted like a uh, cream soda esque. Mm-hmm. So I'm white all about stout, that, which was cool. Yeah. I haven't
0: had a bad white stout yet, just they're hard to come by. So, um, yeah, Axe and Arrow, our local brewery, has one. They um, they kill it, man. They're crushing yeah, the game, doing awesome. I had another one, uh, the pumpkin chino that uh Marta had, um, from neck of the woods, and I had it during a, a business meeting, executive meeting amongst my team uh, yesterday. So, I was supposed to save it for the show, but. It was Looking so good, so I had it again. That would have been one that was probably at least in the eights, maybe, maybe a low nine. But if I get it again, uh, I'll have to hit uh, neck of the woods brewing and get that and lighten up a little bit on my rankings. Uh, I mean, I'm being becoming a bit of a beer snub with these rankings, so I'll have to loosen up. But
1: and anyway, but cheers, with that cheers executive meeting sounding big time bro yeah, like trying, uh trying to get to that big time uh yeah. the ipo and everything going
0: yeah right we're, we're going public next week you know everyone yeah. buy their uh stocks to try. Yeah. hopefully they're doing it. hopefully uh your ipo would
1: do better than uh
0: atis Oof. Oof. well they dropped like uh forget how many percentage over there it's like 30 40 or something recently
1: so yeah yeah, I don't know too much about it. I there like, some lawsuit going on. Yeah, they
0: got a lot of issues going on. Yeah.
1: Uh, terrible. Apparently,
0: not the greatest retention and that sort of stuff. Not to talk bad on them. But they have to air their dirty laundry out now that they're public. So, yep. Yep. Um, it's been interesting to follow them and see if their uh, stock rebounds. But, yeah, I think it's uh, dropped a bit. But,
1: yeah. <laughs> I think so, they, they said the biggest cost of uh... – Running a business is uh, employee turnover. The amount it takes, the amount, the amount, physical amount. And then when you compound that by the time it takes to train people, especially if they're they're constantly training, yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, is your biggest business. business, I can't even talk. Biggest expense. There we go. Yeah. What's what's in this? What's in this? I can't even talk. 100 proof? I don't know, man. (laughs) Might be up there. Might be up there at the one fifty one. No, it's not one hundred. It's eighty. All right, all right. Solid, steady. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, all right. So, uh, what, what we got here, man? So, wanna, yeah. Uh, man, we, we start us off with a couple questions, and I'll uh, run my run my flapper.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess the big thing we I've seen it here and there on social media. Um. You know, we've had a couple conversations about manual therapy, whether it should be implemented or not, but. Uh, one of, uh, I guess, the main things of the individuals that, you know, suggest we shouldn't do it or it's not necessary is that it leads to patient dependency. If we perform manual therapy, it kind of puts the idea that patients need us to fix them and will continue to come back every little ache or pain or injury, or they will only be fixed as long as we put, do some hands-on techniques. Um, I guess, straight off the bat, you know, Brandon, your experience, I know you were obviously biased. Um, obviously, if you haven't picked up from that, from our, even the show title, Manips, uh, not Manips. All right. I want you to hear this from a couple of people. Why is the show called Manips? All right. That is a, that's two separate words. This is Manips. Um, but obviously we're, we're, we're biased. Um, we've put around with a lot of things in our careers and manual therapy is uh, kind of, Stay true for us, but Brandon, in your experience, do you feel like manual therapy can cause dependency?
1: Yeah, I'm going to uh, sidestep this first question right off the bat. Here, I'll come back to it. I'm just sidestepping right now, a <laughs> Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, broaden it. it away from manual therapy manips and, and talk about the profession as a whole. You know, we. We're like the only profession that like shoes patients away. Mm. Like the, um, the need for like fewer discharges or, or not fewer discharges, fewer sessions. Mm-hmm. I get it. We need to have value. Obviously, we've done residencies and fellowships. We, we've gone through the outcome forms. We've gone through the training to get our numbers where they need to be. Like if, if you guys don't know our background, that is it. We totally get it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the profession, like we're trying to grow that piece of the pie that we see, I mean, and even expand into maybe the ER realm, right? We have doctorate behind our name, which a lot of PTs still don't even know what that freaking means. Um, you know, we, we talk about being able to rule out red flags and things like that. Well, then why aren't we becoming the number one which this is APTAs? Um, vision of 2020 which we're in 2021 now almost 2022 and i think at the latter half of uh, the 2010s they they uh i guess uh lowered their expectations apta of the uh becoming the number one provider for musculoskeletal pain well if we're going to be that number one provider we need to actually see more people Mm -hmm. we need to have people depend on us We need to have people want to come back to us every time something is wrong with them so we can tell them, hey, you just need X, Y, or Z, and we're steering them away from uh, low-valued care, such as massage, such as injections, such as surgery when not needed, um, which, let's be real, most of the time, you probably don't need it, all right? So if we can save somebody that time and risk and money of other methods, opioid epidemic that's going on and see them, even if it's for a handful of sessions for manual therapy or some other form of physical therapy, why is that not okay? Mm. Why? In a way I want my patients to be dependent on me. I want them to come back to me. I want to be the gatekeeper. Right. You know, egos aside, I want them to trust me so much that they'll value my opinion over a surgeon i have a guy right now came in he's been dealing with knee pain for uh two months maybe three he he slipped on his desk tweaked his knee you know we're, we're going through all the the tests and you know, are ruling out rolled the acl probably has a meniscal tear or at least um his meniscus is pissed off let's put it that way right maybe it's a little irritated mm-hmm. um valgus stress test showed positive but i think that's just more from the swelling and irritation and sensitization that's occurred over the past 2 months uh, hey i think you're having this i think we can definitely help you with physical therapy we just got to get that swelling out of there uh, get you walking right again cuz you had a talgic gait obviously and you'll be fine uh, in the meantime yeah go check out so and so let's see what he says you know we referred him to a doc he wanted to see a doc cool but he went to see the doc Doc was like, yes, it looks like a meniscal tear. Let's get you an MRI and we're probably going to do surgery right off the bat. Boom. Not, hey, let's finish therapy and see how that goes. Hmm. My patient calls me back up. Hey, I'd rather, I'm going to get the MRI, but I'd rather, uh, you know, try PT. It's already feeling better after one session. Um, So if I can avoid surgery again and we do this for four or six weeks, great. Like that, that's great. I want him to be dependent on me and not that quick fix because a lot of surgeons, at least up here, oh, meniscal tear let's do surgery. You don't need PT. You'll be fine. And you'll be walking out. You'll be fine in a couple of days, which is almost never the truth, Hmm. especially for, you know um, you know, guys are manual laborers, construction workers, things like that. They're on their feet constantly. They're not going to be better in a month. So that's, that's my sidestep on the manual therapy topic, (laughs) more so into physical therapy as a profession and where we need to, you know, grow a sack and Uh uh, be better, better advocates, uh for ourselves and for our profession and, and i really think that comes to us knowing knowing prognoses knowing diagnoses yeah. knowing differential diagnoses not treating on the uh, pathoanatomical diagnosis anymore and treating more on uh, impairments mm-hmm. um you know i'll keep going but I- i'll let you talk yeah your- um, yeah i mean do you think right now as a
0: profession as a whole um that we should be that, you know, I think uh, recently, even a said something about, you know, us becoming the primary practitioners of NM um, neuromuscular scale. Uh, I think it's NMS, I guess um, of conditions and that sort of stuff. And like looking back obviously I, I full wholeheartedly agree. I treat primarily direct access or now it's going to a little bit more balanced, but I did that so we can avoid situations uh, such as the one that your client was in um, that we do become that first option. And, you know, we can avoid the things if we're looking at things of like, all right, low value, high value, whatever the hell you care um, more risk to reward ratio of things. It's all right. What are the options for said meniscus tear? Okay. We can do injections, which, you know, cortisone and then there's still individuals out there that'll, do multiple cortisone injections and then you're just screwing the person down the long road. Um, if they get onto the opioid train, which I haven't seen as much, but that's, you know, addiction. And then we have surgery and we always kind of think of surgery as this um, people still think that it's like, Oh, I get surgery. I will be fixed. Um, and a lot of times it's, you know, if we're looking at the whole person and we're looking at the every part, bio, psycho, and social components, you know, a lot of times surgery doesn't fix, you know, the psychosocial components that individual's going through and then the risks associated with it. Um, talking to Chris Carroll, uh, who's uh, did the PT reframed with us, he gets people all the time going for standard orthopedic uh, procedures. And uh, if you don't know, Chris Carroll didn't listen to his episode. He works at McGee. Um, at um for in their neuro intensive unit and he gets people who were there for an orthopedic procedure and end up in his hands because something something bad happened stroke uh, blood clots whatever it may be heart attacks um so yeah i mean i think obviously we're the safest option but going back to things do you think do you think we should be should we be you know universally accepted we should be a, get a public service announcement that announces listen everybody that you have a neuromusculoskeletal issue if i guess that needs to be summarized if you have an orthopedic issue your physical therapies should be seen first Do you think right, we're no, at no. that point we're currently in our i guess in our profession
1: before i answer that you were talking about the, the risks going on with surgery and, and chris carroll we had our course this weekend, and you brought up a, a good scenario. And yes, maybe it wasn't a little over the top, but it still holds yeah. weight or water. And I think it should make hopefully our audience members think a little bit. We're going to challenge you a little bit. You mind sharing what you were what you were talking about? Was this the shoulder? This was the shoulder, and you didn't know how to treat, so therefore they get X, Y, and Z. So therefore <laughs> they get a surgery, and then they. Well, I don't yes, want to Yeah, all right. So, okay. all right.
0: So all right. Stick with me, everybody, listening in and everything like that. Uh I should have a, a board in the back here. You ever watch always really Sunny? When Charles hey, I've moves only seen a couple line? episodes.
1: Great show. I just I'm not of him like connecting
0: dots. To. Um so hopefully everyone can stick with me. But uh we know uh in discussion with especially let's say it's not even one therapist, I know a lot of therapists in the uh, going off of our overhead throwing athlete uh, episodes. But therapists, especially in the baseball realm, that only perform uh, their treatments, only soft, well, whatever exercises and just soft tissue to the shoulder.
1: Um, up north in a, in a, and up. There's actually somebody to local, the
0: local-ish to me. I think I actually went to maybe the same <laughs> school I did. But I dig- we digress. Um, so I was having a conversation with Brandon and also with my student at the same time, is um, and the particular individual says, we do that because our outcomes have been good. They're good enough or they're they're good and we had good results. Great. Uh but to be honest, lazy um,
1: answer, but yes,
0: huh?
1: very lazy
0: answer. Very lazy yeah. answer. But in my personal opinion, I'll never say that. I don't think if those words ever come out of my mouth, um, I hope someone says, Jeremy, it's time for you to retire. Um, I don't think you can ever have good enough outcomes. Uh, anything that you can get done in six sessions, work to get it done in three. When you get to three, work to get it done in two. When you get to two, get it done into one. From a, you know, just a skill point of view. Yes, you want to keep, you know, people We're talking about dependency and making sure people come to us were our first option, but I never kind of view things that way. I should always look to get better. Um, As long as I'm a practicing and treating clinician, or if you're an educator, get yourself better to pass on to the next generation. But um, with that concept with it's like, oh, it's good enough with what we're doing, especially in the case of a shoulder and how many things that can potentially refer to shoulder pain outside of soft tissue. uh, We're talking about the cervical spine, the CT junction, the thoracic spine, the first rib. Uh, the second rib, uh, and hell, oh, I've even played around and noticed things even further down into like the thoracic spine or lower ribs, uh, mm-hmm. do some crazy stuff, uh, being how close it's probably to you know, sympathetic nervous system. Um, so, how many individuals are we missing that we end up in getting a, especially let's say pitchers? You MRI any pitcher at any level, at least let's say high school you're going to find something. You're going to find a labral tear, some partial rotator cuff stuff. But we know that from research. So you stick into your ways and not looking at outside the box. Um, and let's say you're probably not assessing it if you're not going to treat those other areas. You know, how many of those individuals have consistent pain? It doesn't quite get better. And then they look for alternative options, whether that be injections and that can lead to um you know, further degrading of the tissues if it's over abused or into, you know, a surgery. And then I took it one step further, as I typically do, including my jokes at times, unfortunately. Uh, But, you know, what happens to that person gets a complication. You know, I said death, which is a little bit grim, but, uh, you know, we're talking about axial nerve uh, injuries, um, you know, other things, you know, other injuries that can end a person's career. Um, how many people don't come back? I mean, the statistics on on surgeries, especially like labral, uh, is not very good. It's you know, almost you know, closer to a career ender than a career saver. Uh, Mm -hmm. for some, they do come back. Um, but you know, could that all have been prevented? Um, if we, you know, level up in the sense of you know, making sure we check off all our boxes and make sure we examine and treat everything that can possibly be related to said area but that's what it was i hope everyone stuck with me on that one next time okay. i'm bringing a whiteboard and having pies no, well, in and the articles and crazy faces and up till four o'clock in the morning with six cups of coffee
1: but yeah well well said jared um, great question you know Rarely are we dealing with life and death, at least in the musculoskeletal realm. But uh, we think, right? I mean, in those know, individuals take, take it like those that. those few steps further, and it's like, could you have helped avoid an unnecessary treatment? Um, and it's it's so commonplace you don't think about it. And too many PTs are just relying on what they learned in school. The amount of conversations I've had. Oh, well, school taught us this. School taught us that. The amount of stuff I see on social media you know, Facebook with the, the groups um, that are on there where people post questions. And while well, I was taught in school or do, if that's your constant reference and you went to school, you know, even a year ago, but three, five, 10 years. And, and that's, that's your, your point of uh, what's kind of backing you up, dude, like you're way behind. You need to, to, like Jeremy said, level up. You need to go take some, some good courses Or maybe do a a residency or fellowship and and expose yourself to some different thought process. Um, You know, I think the biggest thing with our advanced training is being exposed to different thought processes, being challenged. Because too many times you you hear and maybe you're doing it yourself. Oh, my outcomes are good enough. No, no, they're not. The fact that you even just said that um, is a problem. I mean, I've heard that from people taking our courses and you know they're over here asking advice on x y and z or they're burnt out or whatever and the first thing is well my outcomes are good enough well clearly not if you are asking me about how to treat a certain case and that's not said to be belittle you or anything like that but when you know more about tiger king than you do about you know whatever's going on in your profession well you know you probably your outcomes probably aren't good enough Mm -hmm. um but you know Going off on rants here. Circle back to your question you asked me. Should should our profession um have the privilege privilege. of uh of treating or being known for MSK off the rip? Oh man, that is that is something to untangle. Uh in a perfect world, I'd say yes. In the world I live in, yes. (laughs) And you know, the with the training I have had and the experience I have had, yes. But I understand we are, you know, the 1% or probably less than the 1% of therapists that have gone on to do a residency and fellowship training. 2% um, in the whole, whole world, uh, if you wanted to know. 2%. Oh, that's higher than I thought.
0: Uh, in the world for like fellowship level trainings. All yeah, that's still
1: higher because double board certified is like around 1% or 2%, let alone fellowship, which is a, more of a funnel going down. Yeah. Um again, in you know New Zealand and Australia. I mean that's more commonplace and you know overseas and stuff like that. But all right, two percent. From what um, I heard. I haven't yeah. looked at that. I saw someone no. else put it and I, okay. I just I believe them. <laughs> Which all right, you, we shouldn't, should, do. you shouldn't do right. <laughs> um all right, we'll 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 fact check that, but regardless, right? Most PTs aren't there yet. Um, you know, compound the models that people are in where they're seeing four or five people an hour don't have the time to see that. Right. Or, or, or to, to actually, you know, be able to do that. So, um, you know, that that's, that's a layered thing. I, I think we should strive to, to be there to do that. Um, you know, I hate to, to dare throw this out and add the you know, division against the profession as well. Should you make it, if you have a certain amount of training or a certain amount of years or a test out or something like that, you, you have that ability to be known, um, I know some States of direct access is, you know, three years or four years or five, whatever the, the number is, um, before you get direct access. I mean, I have mixed opinions on that as well, mm-hmm. uh, but there does need to be more of a standard. Um, there's too much, um, you know, haphazard we teach courses, you know, almost once a month, if not more. And the amount of people we hear just, they just do soft tissue for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. like, there, you know, there's very little thought process in what they're doing. Um, part of that can be because of the lack of time. Part of it's the lack of knowledge. Part of it's a lack of skill set. Like there, there's a lot of variations in there too, but you know, soft tissue massage for 20 minutes is not that efficient. It's not effective. You know, that's why massage therapists book 45 minute to an hour massages one-on-one, right? right? We need to be able to, um, Get a patient in front of us, rule out the red flags, right? And which, what's this big thing on like social media, red flags that's going around? I I don't know. I'm not, not no idea. I'm not hip enough. The medical guy into the
0: social media world, I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome.
1: Speaking of that, right? We need to rule out red flags, find out what's going on, and then be able to perform a quick intervention and retest them. You know, a lot of times it could be done in five minutes. So, you know, if we're that at that of a primary, Primary provider for musculoskeletal pain, we should be able to to do that and see a bunch of people in an hour. Documentation aside, right? What do physicians do? They see and then they they talk in their uh, recorder and they move on to the next person. But they, you know, I'll rest for two weeks and see me see me in two weeks. Like no thought. When we have them on the table, we could just easily manipulate them, mob them, nerve glide them you know, do a couple exercises within five minutes and, and move on. Like we can have the ability for um, being effective and efficient. You just have to hone that skill. Uh, last thing here, uh, tell you, want to say something, you know, that, that study was done by John Childs. i um, blanking on the year. How to be like 2004 or six or something. Nice. Right. Um, you know, who has the most MSK knowledge? Well, PTs, DPTs with an OCS resident, uh, or not resident with an OCS, uh, board certification to have the highest, um, knowledge of MSK pathologies, um, next to an orthopedic surgeon. So more than a student, more than a general practitioner, more than internal medicine, more than a neurologist, more like you go down the line, we were second, um, second to somebody who cuts the human body open for a living. And uh, that's pretty damn good. Um, you know, so instead of, you know, how many times do people go to, a their primary care physician for low back pain, they're not helping you. They don't know what the fuck to do. Um, I'm serious. Like they're going to give you prescriptions and they're going to give you a script for PT or give you a script for an ortho, not efficient at all. And yet you have these insurance companies that mandate gatekeeping of, you have to see a primary care before you can see a PT or anybody else. Like how is that efficient at all? That's if anything, increasing healthcare dollars, at least in the U.S. I S I don't know what it's like anywhere else, but. You know that that question has so many tentacles. Mm-hmm. Um, should we be? Should we strive to be there? Yes, I think APT wanted to do that. Yes, did they fail? Yes, did we fail? Yes. Um, you know, there, there's there's just so many layers to that. Uh, I
0: don't know, you got get <laughs> me heated up, man. I can tell this is this is good. This might have to we might have to change the title of this episode. Huh? The Brandon ranting, Brandon ranting, or you know. Becoming prime, we, we've talked about it, but this is this is more uh, dive into the uh, to the layers here. But um, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, I don't think we're there yet. I think we have a long ways to go. I think APTA did try; um, they tried to push a movement to you couldn't become a, or a specialist unless you went through a residency, and then there was pushback, and then. The same with the fellowship training is that like you shouldn't be able to do a, resident, a fellowship without doing residency, and then there's a pushback from this particular fellowship group, um, which you know layers on top of each other. I mean, at least you you know, people, there's a pushback for those individuals who want to push themselves and take these tests or trainings and that sort of stuff. But I don't think, yeah, I don't think we should be able to. I as a, I think there needs to be something to ensure the individuals that are practicing direct access or you know have the aptitude to do it um, I look back on all the times where I was either a shadower aide worked as a PT and was unfortunate around some pts that I mean their examination wasn't even anything they nodded their head put people on hot packs gave them four exercises that they typically would do this for doesn't matter anything lower body the same four and that was it and ask for any red flags it didn't even do anything reflexes or cranial nerves or anything like that, or even have a general screening question. So, um, and I look at myself as a, when I came out of, you know, entry level and I had some great mentors and CIs. Um, I still probably wasn't, you know, you know, skilled enough to really say yeah, I should be a, you know, primary practitioner, uh, but the training obviously helped to where I confidently can do that. And I've had, um, you know, a lot of people come in for that and they tell other people, and we've built this nice little, you know, ecosystem of where we are the primary practitioners in our local area for neuromuscular scale stuff. But I think it took years of training to get to that. Do I think it needs to be a year's of experience things? No, it's like giving someone a promotion is because they're with the company the longest, which I think is absolute bullshit. I think it should be the most passionate. Uh, driven person who's going to make your team grow or your company grow, whatever the hell you want to think of it. But um, no, I think there needs to be something that says, you know, I think in Texas, they recently finally, I think they're like one of the last states uh, to finally authorize direct access. And it's like, I think seven days. You have seven days to treat someone direct access if you're residency trained. And then it's like 14 for fellowship, or it might, I might be mixing it up. But um, you know, and that's a core component of these of residency and fellowship is to be ability to screen out uh, any red flags and see who's appropriate and to be efficient, so that you know people are like oh my god, just seven days, um, a real you know fellow or resident um, or high level PT is like okay, at least within seven days, I know I can be making an impact, and the patient will know if it's something way off and that sort of stuff. Then yeah. Um, you know, I can always refer out and that sort of stuff. But, you know, seven days, you know, you get two, three sessions in, um, you can make an impact or at least know you can help the patient. You know, there are certain cases, especially higher irritable people and that sort of stuff, those seven days will be murky, but um, you know, at least, at least they can get that. But I don't think, you know, every entry level therapist should just come out and be able to do these things unless they prove otherwise. Maybe it's just like a, what are those tests called when, you can take a test and skip a couple of classes in college or something like that. I forget what they were, but, uh, pretty much test. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think, I mean, if there's something like that, you know, add it to the boards, make it an optional thing. If you want to, if you're like, I'm um, going the narrow route or, you know, cardiac or PEDS, there is no direct access. Screw it. Don't take it. But I think that's what it should be until it becomes. And I, I see that in the future is, you know, Eventually, it's just going to be DPT, role right into residency, and then some people will choose to go on to fellowship. But the um, APTA did try that, and unfortunately, um, we didn't push it um, enough, I guess. But uh, yeah, I guess that's my, my rant into it. Um, if, you, if you argue with me, that's, that's fine. Um, it's probably because you're well versed enough to be able to do direct access and see these people by yourself but i guess we should circle back
1: probably the to our original question, question the main question is probably I, I people well, if
0: you've listened up to this point you you really want to know um do you feel like manual therapy is a sidestep over the shake and bake over are you ready you ready yeah for i'm it? ready i'm, I'm oh, gonna take ready? this head
1: on i'm right. you know, on the
0: train i'm on the tracks you're on the tracks all right it was good but no. i love the i love the sidestep this is this is good Got me all fired up for the rest of the day after this. But uh, yeah, going back to it. Do you think manual therapy creates dependency? And then going beyond the whole, you know, people depending on us to be a primary practitioner to answer those questions immediately, which I think is huge. I'll throw this in real quick. Anybody that I've seen quickly, acutely, like it start off just being friends and family members and they'll just pop in like day one to three of their symptoms. They're almost done by the end of the week, or if not done by the end of the day, Um, we don't get that often, but if we become those individuals and that's the case, we're starting to see people with symptoms day one to five or, or, you know, our outcomes are going to be through the roof. Um, But from a, just a dependency on manual therapy or unnecessary dependency on the whole physical therapy uh, utilization. Do you think yeah. manual therapy does that?
1: Not if you don't spin it that way. You know, if you, if you become, you know, um, you know, salesman, you know, if you, and this is stereotypically talking about another profession where you need to come, you know, three times a week for the rest of life, um, then yeah, you're going to be dependent because you're, you're going to manipulate um you know, you're, you're using your knowledge on somebody who, who doesn't know the area or, or uh, body part that, yeah, they need to, you're going to fear monger, whatever the case may be. So yes, if you spin it that way, if you educate that patient that way, yes, it's going to be dependent. If you educate the right way, if you empower the patient, if you um, show them how to self-manage, you know, for things that they can. And you educate. Hey, you know, try this on your own. If it's not, come back. Or anytime this bothers you again, just come back. We can knock it out in a session. No, it's not.
0: Totally. And I just to go off the top of that, you know, we talked about on the show before. Is I think for the most part, for every manual technique that we give, we always, or pretty much for me, for the most part, unless I get them on the bike for just a cardiovascular warm up, stimulate the nervous system. Um, I usually give them a self-mobilization. So you're like, "Hey, you see how what I did there helped out your range of motion, your pain got better, your strength improved, reflexes, whatever it may be. Um, this is, you know, the best technique you have that you can do at home. Uh, so we're trying to empower the patients. Um, you know, I think there's uh, one profession that we see in our own profession where these gurus that just stick purely to manual therapy, stick to the concept of let me fix you, yeah, those are a problem It may kind of rely to that dependency. But, um, you know, I think this us new wave of physical therapists and that sort of stuff, the anti-gurus out there, um, blending manual therapy with evidence. Um, well, it is part of An evidence. Exercise. But An exercise. Uh, And exercise and education. Uh, it's, you know, a perfectly good tool. Uh, have I been in situations where I probably did you know, did a couple extra sessions worth of manual therapy that probably wasn't warranted. Yeah, uh, sometimes you get into that and patient asks for it. Um,
1: At the end of have a business to run to.
0: Huh? You have a business At to run to. At the end of to, the day,
1: but, you have a business to run to. Exactly.
0: Um, and even before it was my business and working for others, yeah, it happens. Um, and that's okay. And again, thinking what's the worst, you know, it's not, you know, I wasn't like, all right, let me manual therapy them for 60 minutes. It's all right they wanted a technique, you know, they're, you know, the pain's minimal or none well, screw it. if it helps them psychologically to get through the next 40, 30, 45 minutes of the exercises, whatever it may be. Um, I'll do it for a couple extra sessions. I'm better about it now. Like, Hey, you know, things are good at this point. You, I don't think you need manual therapy. Let's focus on the exercises and, uh, getting back to the function that you want to do. Um, but, um, I'll have to say this kind of thought process is, you know, this fear of patient dependency that this is like cocaine manual therapy. Um, you know, I think that it's leading to a, a group, especially younger clinicians where they won't do it. And now think of all the people that you won't get better. Um, and we talked about this on the show. What well, about the chronic pain patients and those people that have responded well to th- manual therapy. Um or like how many people end up having pain and chronic pain or going down that route because we fail to modulate their symptoms. And you know they hurt to move and we just say keep doing these exercises, it'll get better. Movement's great and it just their body, their system, whatever it may be, didn't allow it and they just avoided the motion and then two years go by in COVID and all of a sudden they haven't extended at their back in two years or in their neck, you know, could that all have been avoided? And are those people ending up down that other scarier roads of drugs and injections and surgeries because we failed to, you know, perform manual therapy at the right time. But
1: yeah. That's yeah. And the famous and to quote, Rick James, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> um. I will, you know, finish up with this, you know, I've, I've heard people say clinicians, quote unquote, leaders or experts, um, you know, say, don't you know, do manual therapy, yada, yada, all they do is strength conditioning or Therex, wow. right? And they've been asked, you know, what, what makes you different than a strength conditioning coach? And their response is, you know, humbly, they're, they're, there's not, they're the same. So I will ask, why'd you go to PT school then? You could have, what, you wanted the, the DR in front of your name? Because if you're just going to do more strength conditioning and not, you know, utilize the rest of the scope of your practice um, in terms of differential and advocating and educating and manual therapy or whatever, all the tools that we have, then start questioning yourself. And if you're that therapist, you know, hopefully, you know, you're listening and you know if, if you're following these exercise movement only gurus, then why'd you even go to therapy school if you're just going to do strain conditioning? You should have just done an NSCA or uh CSCS or some some test like that, and you could have been done with only a $500 of debt <laughs> and uh could have moved forward. But uh, you decide to go this route, and if you're uh 35 or under, chances are you have a uh, a substantial amount of student loans, right? You better make it worth it and uh, hone your skills in, you know, as many ways possible.
0: Yeah. Um, I think uh, there's mm. a particular asker, I'll say his name. Uh, if he's listening, he wants to call me out on it, but it was his words on a podcast. Uh, uh, John Rusin, he said he hasn't done a day of clinical treatment since he's graduated. Um, and he has his own, you know, kudos to him, has his own, you know, con ed and that sort of stuff. But, you know, you look at it, it's, it's strength and conditioning. Um, and we're, we, we have more than that. I mean, yes, it's a huge piece of it. And should physical therapy look a lot like strength and conditioning? Absolutely. At but times. At times. Uh, but take a, and everyone's had him, a full blown Uh That's, you know, you you can't strengthen condition that. And if you can, email me, message me. I would love to hear how you do that, where you can just go straight into someone who came and stand up, has got a lateral shift, pain, potentially some weakness, loss of sensation down the leg. And you tell me how you can just, you know, let's, let's do some barbell squats or goblet squats, whatever it may be. Cause you know, you're, you're, you're pretty awesome. If that's the case and kudos to you. But um, I think we have obviously a lot more to give. Um, and modulating symptoms and getting people back um, without the need of anything uh, excessive invasive unnecessary um, that we discussed before so this that'll be my last points unless there's anything else there Brandon
1: No I think that's it my computer is actually about to die so no. that's perfect perfect timing
0: I gotta finish more of my beer I'm slow today but um all right well uh awesome episode everyone and uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the the end of the recap things. Let's, Brandon, you have something. Uh, it's now a recording now. But
1: uh, what do we got? What are we in uh, October twenty first? Let's see. We have our upper extremity course November sixth. I don't know if this is dropping before that. Um, we actually have another course the thirteenth, fourteenth. Actually, that that just sold out, so we're, we're packed on that one. And then we have our spine on hip course December third and fourth. Um, and that one usually is a sellout as well. So, uh, we have that, we have our mentorship stuff, uh, online virtual mentorship. Uh, Jeremy's, uh, also starting up, uh, you know, rehab coaches, which is uh, more for the entrepreneurial PT as well. Um, anything else I think? No, that's
0: it. Um, yeah. Uh, some exciting things and, uh, yeah, soon the 2020, 2022 schedule will be out for our courses and, uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to it. And, uh, Yeah, I'm honest with everything. Guys want to send me an email about stuff. By all means, I'll love to chat about it. But uh, cheers, everyone.
1: Great episode. Until next time.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Nips and Sips. If you liked what you listened to, please follow and subscribe to us on all major social media and podcast platforms. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. Interested in one of our courses? go to www.iosmt.com interested in business and private practice mentorship and advice visit us at therehabcoaches.com as always feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or recommendations whether that be clinical or SIPS at Manips and SIPS at The Decent Doctor and at Think Like a Fellow thanks for tuning in And cheers, everyone.